Shakespeare said parting is such sweet sorrow. Saying goodbye is hard, and saying goodbye is not a lot of fun. And here Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. In chapter 13, they're there in the upper room, they're done eating, and Jesus gets a towel and a basin, and he washes his disciples' feet. In chapter 13, verses 18 through 30, Jesus is going to reveal to them who his betrayer is. It's interesting, they don't put two and two together, they don't figure it out. And in verse 28, it says, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto them. They didn't figure it out. He says, hey, the person that I I dip my bread into the sop and then give it to him, he is the traitor. He does this, and he gives it to Judas, and they don't get it. And then look at verse 31 of chapter 13. It says, therefore, when he was gone out, now Judas has left. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself. And shall straightway glorify him. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot tell me. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, so now Simon has a question, wait a minute. Notice Peter's question, whither goest thou? Jesus, what do you mean you're going to leave? Where are you going? Well, he had told them that he was going to go to the Father, but once again, they didn't put two and two together. And here Peter says, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? He says, I will lay down my life for thy sake. He says, listen, Jesus, what do you mean I can't go with you? I will follow you to the grave. I would die for you. And Jesus says, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Here Jesus tells him, Peter, you can say that you're going to follow me to the grave, but the truth is, is you're going to deny me three times. Which brings us to chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Here the disciples are beginning to become anxious. They're starting to fear. Now they have some unknowns. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Just because I said I'm leaving, just because I said that I'm going to go to the Father, that you can't come with me, don't be afraid, don't fear, don't be troubled. He tells him in verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Here Jesus is trying to comfort them. He's trying to help them with this goodbye. Take your Bibles, go over to John chapter 16 and verse 33. This is really what I want to look at this morning, just this one verse. 
Notice what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, these things have I spoken. I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Ladies and gentlemen, in chapters uh, 13 and 14, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He breaks this news to them that he's leaving. He's going to go to the Father, and, and they're troubled. In, in chapter 14, verse 27, he tells them again, let not your heart be troubled. In chapter 16, verse 6, he says, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. In verse 20 of chapter 16, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament. In chapters 13 and 14, he's in that upper room, and he's telling them goodbye. In chapter, at the end of chapter 14, they leave. He says, arise, let's go. And they begin to head towards that garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed. You know that place where he agonized with God and he sweat great drops of blood? He is on his way to that place. And on his way, in chapter 15, verse 1, he says unto his disciples, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. So I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine this scene. But he's walking with his disciples. I don't know if they're walking through a garden. I don't know if there are vines. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Do you realize you can't do anything without Christ? You can't do anything. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. And here Jesus tells them, I am the vine. You need to abide in me because just as that trunk of a tree or, or that main branch of a tree or of any kind of plant sends nutrients and food and everything to all the other branches so that they can grow and bear fruit and, and, and be a fruitful plant or tree, Jesus says, I am that vine. And if you will abide in me, I am the nutrients. I am the food. I'm the vitamins. I'm what you need. Nothing else. Jesus is the vine. And without him, we can do nothing. So as they're on their way there to the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to tell them about how he is the vine and how they need to abide in him. And then in chapter 15, verse 18, he kind of changes gears and it gets a little scary. Look at chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Listen, Christian, do you realize the world hates you today? Do you realize you have no inheritance in this world? This is not your home anymore as a Christian. It is unbelievable how, how hard we fight to be a friend to this world. And we fuss at the teens all the time. You know, we go to camp and love not the world. And we tell the teens, you shouldn't be a friend of the world. And you shouldn't do this. And you shouldn't do that. And you shouldn't live like this. You shouldn't listen to this. You shouldn't watch this. And you shouldn't be a friend of the world. We tell the teens that all the time. But what about us adults? How hard do we fight as adults to be a friend of this world? We watch its TV shows, we watch its movies, we listen to its music, we, we listen to its advice and reread its books and we look at its blogs and we look at its social media and we get all involved in this world and you know what we do? We say, man, they got it made. No, they don't. 
Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this friend, this world is not a friend to grace. This world is not a friend to the Christian. And here Jesus tells him, listen, this world's going to hate you. This world's going to hate you, not really hate you. But this world hates Jesus. Listen, you go, <laughs> just get up and preach Jesus. Just go to work tomorrow and try and tell your coworkers about Jesus. Go tell your family about Jesus. You don't have to say anything special. Just start talking about Jesus. You know what happens? People get real uncomfortable. Listen, the next time somebody at, at work or somebody in your family or somebody wants to bring up something that's worldly and unbiblical and, or something that's wicked, and you say, hey, you know what Jesus said? Whoa, they ain't going to like that. People don't like it when you start talking about Jesus. This world hates Jesus, and because it hated Jesus, it's going to hate us. It's going to hate me as a Christian. He says in verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. He says, listen, the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. He says, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Because guess what? You're not any greater than your master. Jesus says, the road that I'm on, you're going to end up on the same road. So he brings up the world. He talks about how the world's going to hate them. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. Notice verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Jesus just said, there's going, to become a, there's going to come a time when they're going to kill you as a Christian. They're going to think they're serving God. You realize that was Saul? You know the, one, the Apostle Paul that we read about in the New Testament? Go back and read Acts 7, 8, and 9. And when Stephen was stoned at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen was the fir- one of the first deacons in the church there, and Stephen is being stoned for, for witnessing for Christ. They're taking rocks and they're smashing his head in. You know who's there checking coats? Saul. The Bible says they were laying their coats at his feet. Saul thought he was serving God, killing Christians. You know, I'm convinced more and more that the persecution we're going to see in America, it's not necessarily going to come from their politics. It's going to come from their religion. You know how many religions out there lesbian and gay pastors you know how many denominations out there have women as pastors you take those two things and say it's not biblical people get mad people get angry and listen throughout history christians have always been persecuted by religious people it's always been the religious people. You start pointing out, hey, you're doing this wrong. Start arguing about baptism. You realize people used to get burned at the stake because they differed on baptism? I'm convinced more and more that that's where it's going to come from. People are going to start killing Christians since they're serving God. And Jesus is warning them of this. Jesus is talking to them about this. Jesus is telling him, I'm leaving. And in verse 6 of chapter 16, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you these things, and you guys, you guys are kind of freaking out inside. You're sorrowful because of these things. He goes on here in chapter uh, six, or 16, talking about the persecution of the world. And then he comes to verse 32. And he says, behold, the hour cometh. 
yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I thought about, I was thinking about this verse last night, and it kind of broke my heart. Here in verse 32, Jesus says, Behold, the hour cometh and is now come. The time is at, he says, now is the time. He says, you all, you, you 11 disciples, you're going to be scattered. You're going to forsake me. You're going to go your own way. And he says, and I'm going to be left alone. And then at the end of the verse, he says, yet I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. What a comfort. But do you realize in just a few chapters, Jesus is going to hang on that cross. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, he's going to cry out. He's going to say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment on that cross, Jesus is alone. His father's not there. He turns his back. His disciples aren't there. They're scattered. They're gone. And the world is celebrating his crucifixion. And Jesus is alone. Your sin did that. My sin did that. Put him on that cross and caused the father to turn his back on his only begotten son. Which brings us to verse 33. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If you were to look at chapter 17, you'd see that Jesus prays. Read chapter 17 on your own. Chapter 17, is really, it's, it's pretty awesome, but Jesus prays for his disciples. In chapter 18, Judas is going to come with the guards to the garden, and he's going to kiss Jesus and betray him, and they're going to arrest Jesus, and Jesus is going to be separated from his disciples. Which brings us to chapter 16, verse 33, and three things I want to share with you this morning. The first thing I want to share with you this morning in, in verse 33 of chapter 16 is this. True peace is only in Christ. True peace is only in Christ. Jesus said, these things I have spoken of you. We looked at those things from chapter 13 through verse chapter 16. We've looked at those things. Jesus says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. He told them back in chapter, uh, oh, where is it? Chapter 14. He told them in chapter 14 in verse 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled. But in verse 27, Jesus told his disciples, peace I leave with you. Notice this, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here in verse 27, Jesus makes a distinction, a distinction be between the world's peace and his peace. Listen, Jesus, the, the peace that's in Christ is totally different than the peace that's in this world. It's totally different. Um, notice in verse 33, he says that in me, you might have peace. Now, I think, I, I don't know if the TVs are working, but I have a little, I have a little picture up there of, of a bubble. Um, but anyway, if, if I was to describe this in me, there it is. Listen, this bubble is Jesus. 
And in this bubble, there's peace. But when you get out of this bubble, there's no peace. This is where the world is. This is the world's peace. This is what the world has to offer. This is Jesus. Jesus says, in me, there's peace. Not out there outside of me, but in me, there's peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we seek for peace in so many different things. So many different things. I, I, I was talking, I, I don't remember who I was talking to. Oh, I remember who it was. Um, it was one of our teachers. They were on a field trip. And they're on the bus, and they're going, I think they were going to the zoo or something. But anyway, they were going past Log Lane, and one of the kids pointed out to one of the green crosses there in Log Lane and said, oh, that's my dad's favorite store. I understand the humor, but how sad is that? That's not peace. That's not peace. How many times do I drive into Morgan following somebody and they make a quick right right before Edwards and pull into the liquor store? It's not peace. I won't give you peace. Might make it go away for a split second, but it'll come back. It will never give you true peace. We try to find it in entertainment, music, friends, family, relationships. We harp at the teenagers all the time. You don't have to have a boyfriend. You don't have to have a girlfriend. Listen, Jesus is enough. And he is. But we try to find fulfillment. We try to find purpose. And we try to find peace in so many things. And the only place you'll find it is in that bubble. In Jesus. The only place you will ever find it is in Jesus Everything else will disappoint and disappoint and disappoint and disappoint and disappoint and disappoint. But Jesus will never disappoint you. Never. He never disappoints. In him, we can have peace. We all like peace. We don't like turmoil. We don't like fighting and arguing and not getting along. We like peace. We like peace in our world, you know. I mean, you listen to, or whatever it is on TV, I don't know. I think it's usually Miss America pageant where, world peace. What does that actually mean? What do you mean world peace, but we want world peace? We like peace in our home. We like peace at work. I mean, and I'm sure some of you, could argue and fight at the drop of a hat. I'm sure some of you are like, can you say something here? Not that I was going to say that. Never mind, let me do it, okay. Some of us like to argue and fight and whatever a little more than others. But I don't care how much you like to fight and argue with people. Guess what? You still like peace. We like peace in our life. God, Jesus told him in verse 27, peace I leave with you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry. Worry about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Listen to this, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only place you can find true, real, satisfying peace. But I want to take a second, I want to talk about something else when it comes to peace. Did you know there's not just peace in our life? 
Did you know there's something that we call the peace with God? You know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, listen to this, we have peace with God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have peace with God. The Bible says you are actually the enemy of God. You say, the enemy of God? What have I done to deserve to be the enemy of God? Well, that's easy. You sin. You say, well, how dare you call me a sinner? I'm not a sinner. Yeah, you are. So am I. See, the book of Romans says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. You see, you and I as sinners, we are enemies with God. And that's why he sent his only begotten son into this world to die on an old rugged cross and to to rise again the third day so that you and I could have peace with God. And when you accept him by faith and you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you accept him by faith as your personal savior, you receive peace with God. And that's the most important thing you can do tonight is get that peace with God. He's given us peace, not only peace, but the second thing he tells his disciples here in verse 33, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Notice the second thing, in the world you shall have tribulation. The reality is this, this world, and we've talked about this for a few minutes, but the world is not a friend to the Christian. He tells them, in this world you will, ye shall. It's going to happen, it is a for sure thing. You will have tribulation. This world is not your friend. This world does not care for you. This world will stab you in the back. This world will turn on you in a moment's notice. It is not your friend. We look at, we look at John chapter 15 and what he said about the world not loving us but hating us because it hated him. In 1 John 3 verse 13, the Bible says, Marvel not. Marvel not if the world hates you or persecute you. Don't find it shocking. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. John chapter 7 and verse number 7. If you want, you can take your Bibles back there. It's probably up on the screen. But the Bible says, The world cannot hate you, but, it, but me it hateth, because I testified of it that the works thereof are evil. Man, what an amazing verse. You know, we take things so personally. Do you ever take things personally? you ever take things personally? Does it ever bother you, like people are attacking you, or like you try to say something, and people, have you ever said something, and somebody takes it personal? Yeah, I do. I say things all the time that people take it personally, and it always gets me in trouble. But listen, the world cannot hate you. Do you know, listen, listen to what Jesus says. The world cannot hate you. It doesn't hate you. It hates him. It hates Jesus. And why does it hate Jesus? Because I testify it that the works thereof are evil. Man, you start telling people that their works are evil and people are going to start hating you. You start telling people that what they're doing is wrong, they're going to start hating you. Especially in our culture today where everybody has a voice and everybody has an opinion. And man, um, I think I saw a commercial yesterday. I was watching, anybody watch the final four? Anybody? 
It's my favorite time of the year, March Madness. It's like the only time I watch this much sports. But anyway, I love March Madness. But I think I saw a commercial yesterday, and it was something like, if you don't like your color, anybody know what I'm talking about? Change your hue. That was the whole commercial. If you don't like your color, change your hue. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's the culture we live in. There are no absolutes. There are no rights and wrongs. There's no black and white anymore. Everything's gray, and it's whatever, whatever floats your boat and makes you happy. It's okay. Go ahead and do it. This book right here flies in the face of that. This book, Scripture, Jesus Christ hits that square on. There will come a day when those people will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll give an account. And they will bow their knee and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. But man, this world, ladies and gentlemen, this world is not a friend to the Christian. And this world does not want to help you and me. And in this world, we will have tribulations. But here's my question once again. Why do we struggle so hard to be a friend of this world? Why? Take your Bibles. It's probably going to be up on the screen. I would challenge you to take your Bible and go over to 1 John chapter number 2. Keep a marker here in John 16. We'll come back here one more time. But go over to 1 John. Uh, it's back there by the book of Revelation somewhere. 1 John chapter number 2. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Break check number one. If you love this world, you do not love the Father that clear it's that clear verse 16 for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world passeth away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of god abideth forever here john tells us do not love the world take your bibles go over to james chapter 4 flip a few pages back the other way james chapter 4 here's break check number two and this gets really strong James does not pull any punches here. Notice James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Start a conversation that way tomorrow at work. What up, adulterer? Start that, do that tomorrow. Let me know how that goes. Lady walks in, what's up, adulteress? It's going to go real good. They're going to like that. If I walked up to some of you guys and I said, hey, what's up, adulterer? You would deck me. Who are you? What are you, talk, what are you saying to me? You would find that offensive. Here, James uses some extremely strong language. And he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Notice what he says next. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity, is enmity with God? Here, James equates two things. The love of this world with adultery. Adultery against who? God. See, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I make a choice to love this world, you know what we do? We cheat on God what we do i mean this is some strong language by james here he goes on in the rest of the verse he says whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is 
What a scary thought to have as a Christian. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I get that peace with God, so now I'm saved, I'm on the way to heaven, there's no more condemnation, there's no more judgment for my sin, I've been forgiven. But at the same time, if as a Christian I make a choice to be the friend of this world and I make a choice to love this world, I put myself back in that position where I'm the enemy of God again. That could be a scary thought. That could be a scary thought. Ladies and gentlemen, we should not be the friends of this world. Not only will there be tribulation, but take your Bibles real quick, go back to John chapter 16. One more thing. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, here Jesus says, in me, you have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. So listen, if, if, if in Jesus I have peace, but in this world I have tribulation, how do I feel that peace? Has there ever been a moment in time where you didn't feel like you had any peace? Has there ever been a moment in time where that peace just didn't seem to be there or seem to be real or legitimate? Would it ever feel like there was a time when God failed you and there just wasn't any peace? He has an answer for that. He has an answer for that. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our hope. Here's our hope. Our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in somebody else. Our hope is in Christ because he has overcome this world. Yes, in this world we'll have tribulation. But he says, listen, I've overcome this world. That word overcome is the word Nike in Greek. It means to conquer. It's the same word that we find in the book of Revelation when he says that we are conquerors. Listen, in Christ, you and me, we are also conquerors. This, this conquered, this having overcome the world, this is a once for all type of thing. This is a thing that once for all he has conquered the world. And despite whatever the world does, whatever the world says, whatever, however they rage and yell and scream, whatever they do, Jesus has overcome. Jesus is the victor. He wins. Jesus wins. And he will always win. He has already won. The victory, it's over. Go over to take your Bibles. You should have a marker here. Go to take your Bibles. Go to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. And look at verse number 1. Look at what David says here. David asks the question, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Notice what he says. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Does that not sound like our world today? Ladies and gentlemen, the world has taken up arms against God. The world thinks that science knows more than God. The world thinks it knows more than God. Our politicians think they know more than God. Our scientists think they know more than God. And here David in chapter 2 of the book of Psalms says, Why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? The kings of earth have set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 3 says, they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Ladies and gentlemen, the world thinks it can beat God. Satan thinks he can beat God. But it won't happen. Notice the next verse. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. 
this world thinks it can fight against God and God forsakes you. This world has no idea. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes I think even at, for us as Christians, we have really no clue what God is going to do in the world. I don't think we have a clue. But it says here that God sits up in heaven and he laughs. And notice what it says next in verse 4. It says, the Lord shall have them in derision. He will break them. Verse 5, then shall, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God will judge one day this world. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus conquered this world. He conquered death and hell. He gave us victory over sin when he rose from the grave. But he is the conqueror. He is the victor. And because he has overcome the world, listen, you and I have overcome the world in him as well. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Revelation 6, 2, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto their death. Revelation 17, 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Our God wins. Our God is the victor. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize, at the end of time, there is not going to be a battle between Jesus Christ, Allah, Buddha, and all the, other, all the gods of India and all the other gods around this world. Do you realize there's not going to be a war one day? Do you realize that? Do you realize this morning there is one true God? And that is Jehovah God. That's Jesus. That's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the one true God. There are no other gods. Everything else is a lie. A deception from the pits of hell. It does not even exist. There's one God, and that's Jesus. And guess what? He has overcome the world. He is the victor. He has conquered everything. And because of that, in John chapter 16, verse 33, guess what he says? Be of good cheer. That good cheer literally means courageous. Courageous. Listen, Christian, this morning, you can be courageous in your Christian life. You know why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. We can be courageous. It's interesting. This phrase, be of good cheer, is used uh, three other times in our New Testament. And I'm just going to give you this outline. This, this isn't necessarily original to me. Um, I read this somewhere, but I just thought it was really good. But this be courageous, how can we be courageous? Number one, because of God's pardon. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, there you'd find that we can be of good cheer because our sins have been forgiven. In Matthew 9, 18 through 20, we can be of good cheer because of his power. His power that works in us. 
And then in Matthew 14, 22 through 27, we find that phrase, be of good cheer one more time. Why? Because of his presence. So listen, we can be of good cheer because of his pardon. He's forgiven us of our sins. We can be of good cheer because he gives us the power to live this life. And number three, we can be of good cheer because his presence is always with us. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Here, Jesus tells his disciples goodbye. I don't think it was easy for him to tell his disciples goodbye. But here Jesus tells them goodbye. Charles Dickens, in one of his books, said this, The pain of parting is nothing to the joy of meeting again. The pain of parting is nothing to the joy of meeting again. Listen, this was a hard goodbye. And it was hard on the disciples. But guess what? They'll see him again. They'll see him again. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today and you accepted Jesus Christ as as your personal Savior, listen, for you, Christian, there's peace. Yes, there's going to be tribulation, but guess what? You can be of good cheer. You can be courageous. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And we'll see him one day face to face. There will be a time when we will see him face to face. If you're here this morning, you never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is no peace. There is no peace. But you know what? Jesus this morning calls. He knocks at your heart's door, and he wants you to have that peace with God. If you'll simply trust him. If you'll simply trust him. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, thank you for this for the morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have overcome the world. Lord, I thank you that we can be of good cheer and be courageous. Thank you that as a Christian, we can have peace in you. But Lord, help us not to love this old world. Lord, help us to love you. Lord, you said in John 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. God, sometimes I wonder, do we fool ourselves? Do we deceive ourselves into thinking that we love you when we really don't? Do we love this world more than we love you? Are we seeking peace in other things outside of, this, outside of you? Lord, help us to focus on you. Let's all stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Just one verse. And I ask you this morning, if you don't have that peace with God, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, If you haven't ever humbled yourself and admitted to God that you were a sinner and that you needed saving, would you come forward this morning and do that today? Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. God wants to save you right now, right now, today. Christian, what are you in love with? Are you in love with your Savior or are you in love with this world? Don't love this world. Love God. Love Christ. He's the one you should be chasing. Stop chasing after this world this morning. Just one verse. We sing Jesus paid it all, hymn 185.
there, but before we do, just a quick reminder, Christ Practice 104, uh, camp meeting upstairs uh, right when we're done here. So parents, uh, if you can make your way up there, uh, that's ages 4th grade through the 12th grade. Um, is that it? Okay. Come and see us there. We'd be so happy to have you.